It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. We're coming to you live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening, I hope you're doing uh, okay for our uh, last show, our last live show of uh, 2017. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant. Located on St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give my man a call, 912-268-2328. 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simons to get an authentic Italian meal. And speaking of going to St. Simons, make sure you join us for our next Billy C. Boxing event, which is taking place January 19th. We're calling it our... After the holidays, holiday party, uh, where you can join Sal and myself and some special guests um, at the uh, Sea Palms Resort. And we're going to show you not one, not two, not three, but four classic fights. And you will be part of our live audience that we'll be recording uh, for the next four episodes of Billy C's Boxing Revisited show. So uh, make your plans right now. Visit cpoms.com. Call them up. Tell them you want to come to the Billy C event January 19th. Or just drop me an email, Billy at Talkin' Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. And finally, today's show uh, is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Man of the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this right now while you're watching or listening to the show. Uh, just visit uh, barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. And if you're looking to get a signed copy, just visit the webpage, or our website, I should say, billycboxing.com, or just drop me an email, billy at talking boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. Um, just programming note, we will uh, be back live Tuesday, January 2nd. You will notice some big-time changes, um, but uh, we are off for the holidays after today's show. So uh, we're sorry about that. And one last thing. I will be playing uh, the other Christmas card, Twas the Night. Billy C's Twas the Night Before Christmas after the show today. So uh, at our closing, make sure you uh, uh, listen to that. That's my personal favorite. It was actually the first one we did back in 2008. Uh, so everybody that's been uh, asking for those. And if you want a copy of them, just drop me an email and I'll, I'll get you a copy of them. But uh uh, anyway, 
Um, some stuff we're going to be talking about. We got uh, Alex Perpali coming up a little bit later, uh, doing the final blast of the past of 2017. It's uh, a request, former world heavyweight title challenger, Sir Henry Cooper, will be uh, who Alex and myself will be uh, discussing. So make sure you uh, tune in for that. Um, some uh, also Dax Khan is going to be joining us to give us his thoughts on. Uh, his favorite fights of 2017. We're going to squeeze him in at some point. Uh, today, I, you know, to close out the year, I got a bunch of emails to read, number one. But uh, number two, you know, yesterday we were talking about Anthony Joshua fighting Deontay Wilder. Is it going to happen in 2018 or is it going to be put off another year if it ever happens? And then we were sprinkling in discussion about uh, Triple G and Canelo, the rematch. Will that happen? Will Canelo man up and fight uh, Triple G? Uh, he's been dragging his feet, etc., etc. Uh, will that fight happen? Will Billy Joe Saunders slip in the mix? I was also mentioning that I would love a dream fights uh, between uh, the rematch between Triple G and Canelo, and then Daniel Jacobs fighting Billy Joe Saunders, then the two winners fighting each other, and then the two losers fighting each other to fight the two winners, the winner of the two winners. Uh, uh, and guess what? It all might happen. Yeah, I'm not kidding, because uh, it was announced yesterday that uh, Canelo, now this is where, this is something that we talk about all the time. At the end of the day, with all the greed factor and all of the stuff that goes in, you know, trying to cherry pick, trying to pick the right fights, trying to make the most money, etc., etc., etc. It boils down to one person. One person can make a fight happen or not. And you know who that is? The fighter. We've been talking about that for months. The fighter has the choice. If the fighter wants to fight, he says to his promoter, he says to his manager, he says to whoever the powers that make his decision and say, listen, make the fight. I don't care. I don't want to play games. I want the fight. And that's exactly what Canelo has done. It was reported yesterday that uh, they are extremely close uh, to finalizing the rematch that will be taking place uh, on Cinco de Mayo, the rematch that we all want to see because most of us believe that Triple G won the fight. I think Canelo's got a good chance in the rematch. Joining me right now to give his thoughts, uh, and he's in a much warmer place and that hopefully all you guys are going to be with us uh, in January. Sal, Rocky, Santa Cola, don't take a sip yet, Sal. You're on. You're live, Sal. You're live. What's your thoughts, Canelo making the decision, forcing his team to say, hey, sign this fight. I want to fight this guy. What do you think? I think it's great. I think it's phenomenal. I think it's a early Christmas gift that's going to take place middle of next year. I like that. Uh, hey, you know what? Uh, you and I have always said that. If a fighter really wants to fight, uh, even though he may be advised against it, you know, by the powers that may be around him, suggestions that say otherwise, you know, the fighter wants to fight a fighter. He's got to do it. And he, I mean, he should do it. And, uh, you know, Canelo obviously feels like what he had as a preview, when he had the first uh, fight with Triple G, he learned. And you and I both have stated that, you know, I think Canelo will probably improve uh, drastically going into this fight with uh, Triple G. And I just hope Triple G keeps his pedal on the metal a little, a little more this time and, and closes out big. But, uh, I think it's great. I think we should have the fight. It should be signed, sealed, and delivered. It already should have been done so, but hey, guess what? We'll take it as a Christmas gift. 
Yeah. Well, you know what? It's uh, it's something that uh, is important. The fight, and I, you know, I was a little nervous uh, about uh, uh, the possibility of of Canelo maybe uh, avoiding uh, Triple G, but it's time. I mean, Triple G has clearly slowed down, and I think Canelo's got a better than good chance of winning the rematch. Um, according to uh, uh, Eric Gomez, the president of Golden Boy, uh, he says, we're close, we're advanced. Canelo really wants to fight. He gave us the green light to close the fight, and there are uh, some important details we're working on to reach the final agreement. And once that happens, we will actually work on the contracts. I, I would have hoped they would have been working on those already. Uh, he says the focus is the rematch. That's what Saul wants. That's what the public wants. We are close there are details that must be refined. Two things uh, that we are working on, but we're close. Um, do you think uh, that sounds like it's true, like Canelo is really forcing him? Or do you think that maybe Canelo is feeling some pressure uh, and you know wants the public to know that he wants to fight, but these two things that they're working on could be uh, you know outrageous demands or something that Triple G shouldn't fall uh, you know, fall into listening to. I, I think Triple G, you know, needs to man up. I mean, he's a draw. People want to see him. You know, Canelo's not as big as he seems to think he is. I mean, yes, he's got a huge fan base, et cetera, et cetera, but I'm not so sure the boxing community uh, feels that he's as big of a name in the sport as he thinks he is. What's your thoughts? Well, he is He is very popular. He's a He's a, he looks good out there in the ring, and uh, you know he's got a decent story, and people are attracted to him. They like him. He's a, he's a, you know, somewhat of a, uh, a, a hero, I'm sure, in Mexico. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm smiling to myself. You can almost see I'm laughing to myself. Isn't it ironic how this is becoming? Uh, it's unfolding the day or the weekend right after a spectacular showing from Billy Joe Saunders. Do you maybe think that maybe Canelo Alvarez rather fight Triple G than have to fight Billy Joe Saunders? Just food for thought. That's how my mind thinks. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's not. Listen, it's called options, you yeah, know. And, and the truth of the matter is, is Billy Joe day. Billy Joe Saunders, you know, fought his way, literally fought his way yeah. into the picture. I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit, I gave Billy Joe Saunders no chance. Of, uh, of doing much. You know, I figured he was just a trinket holder. Uh, you know, we, 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 both of us openly criticized him. I'll fight Triple G. All I need is 18 months to prepare. You know I mean? Give me a break. <laughs> you know, and, and he comes back and he fights a guy. Now, now, let's be real about David Lemieux. David Lemieux is a one-trick pony. He's a guy that, uh, you know, comes at you and obviously had no... Uh, you know, I know it bothers you, but he had no answer. He, had, he 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 wasn't listening to his corner. He didn't know how to cut the ring off. You know, I, I don't I don't know if it's just a lack of skill set or, you know, if he took his opponent too easy or whatever. But at the end of the day, Billy Joe Saunders is the guy who rises to the top. And uh, all of a sudden, there's options, you know. And speaking of Billy Joe Saunders, it was reported yesterday that Daniel Jacobs openly wants to fight Billy Joe Saunders. He's got an HBO date of April 28th in Brooklyn. HBO wants to fight. Wow. Daniel Jacobs wants to fight. Now it's up to Billy Joe Saunders. Wow. Will Billy Joe Saunders take that fight? 
We were talking about this yesterday, Wait, Sal. You know, let me tell you. you, know, you and, and, you and, 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 you know, I mean, the thing is, at. he says like this. Um, his uh, management says, we're not going to sit out nine months and play games. Danny wants to be active, referring to Danny Jacobs. He says, uh, but if I'm Billy Joe Saunders' team, I'm probably holding out to fight the winner of Canelo Triple G rematch in September, but we do want to try and make this fight. Billy Joe Saunders looked great against Lemieux. We'll give him his respect for that. Danny legitimately wants to fight, but I don't know if Billy Joe Saunders or his promoter will take it. I think Danny's a too high of a risk for Saunders for him not to take the chance, but we'd love for him to come over in April and fight us. So we'll see. We will extend the invitation and if he sees uh, and see if he takes it. If he doesn't, then we'll work on our plan B. Here's the thing, Sal. As Billy Joe Saunders tries to make the, the best decision for himself financially, um, you know, uh, for his boxing career, you know, not only fina financially for his boxing career, but for his family and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I, again, I, I'm going to say this. You know, we need to break this mold that uh, Floyd Mayweather kind of set. You know, you don't need to wait around and cherry pick an opponent. You know, there's always going to be a big fight. And I look at a fight like this, and, and I know we're talking risk versus reward. But realistically, Sal, Billy Joe Saunders is in a win-win situation. All four of these guys are in a win-win situation. Even if they lose the fight, and as long as they perform, their stock will go up. Case in point, David Lemieux was in a position to be that same guy, perform well, have his stock rise, and, and you know have other opportunities present themselves. He failed. He looked terrible. His stock sank. You don't be surprised if you see David Lemieux fighting uh, uh, Daniel Jacobs uh, in April. You know, that could be a, a last-ditch effort for him to resurrect his career. But if I'm Billy Joe Saunders... I might want to take that fight against Daniel Jacobs because a win over Daniel Jacobs says a lot. It makes an argument that he's the best middleweight in the world. What's your thoughts? Well, I, I think you're 100% correct. And, you know, you know Daniel Jacobs, you got to love the guy. I mean, he challenges himself all the time, and he wants to fight the best because he knows he is the best in his mind, heart, and soul. And, and, and you got to give him that opportunity to prove it. And uh, he's a warrior, and I love Daniel Jacobs. Uh, and I also love the fact that Billy Joe Saunders, I mean, you know, I, I, I couldn't sleep and I was looking at TV last night and lo, lo and behold, HBO replayed that fight all over again with, uh, Billy Joe Saunders and Dave Lemieux. So here I was watching the fight from start to finish all over again. And wait a minute, wait a minute, I, wait a second. Did Billy Joe Saunders win again? You know, uh, it's like, Hey Bill, you know. It's like when my, my pizzeria at my restaurant, you know, I pay, play that endless loop of all my fights. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, these people, I want to bet, on, bet, you know, say, hey, that's a new fight. I'm going to bet on the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, it's funny. He did win all over again. But what I did notice, you know, here was the guy. And I love this. I love this because I, I love doing the same thing when I had the opportunity. But I love that Billy Joe Saunders came into a hostile territory. I mean, the fans booed him, and he knew it. Uh, he was not liked when he first came into the ring and everything else, and you're in Dave Lemieux's backyard. Why not? So I love the fact that this guy comes in, doesn't bat an eye, doesn't give a two hoots about what's going on, where he is. 
All he had on was the blinders and a mission to defeat David Lemieux in his backyard and embarrass him. And guess what? He just—he did just that. And uh, as you said earlier, David Lemieux had no answer, and his stock really did sink in, in inside of 45 minutes. So you know, my my hats off to Billy Joe Saunders. Do I like him? I, I'm not a big fan. I, I respect and appreciate his what he could do and how he did it. And I'm not too fuzzy and warm about him as a character or personality. But, yeah, guess what? He's a tough guy to beat right now. And uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, Canelo Alvarez looking at all the options. You know, I, I, I'm just going to say this. I think he'd rather fight Triple G, uh, a partner he knows how to dance with, than uh, probably taking a step in the ring with uh, Billy Joe Saunders, who's a uh, little more than just an enigma at this point. The only, the only issue, I mean, I love to fight. But the the only issue, I'm, and I'm talking about Billy Joe Saunders against Daniel Jacobs. The only issue is I I would think that Billy Joe Saunders has earned himself a fight at home, and um, I think that uh, if 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 Daniel Jacobs is willing to go to the to, to the UK, I, I think that fight could probably be made. But in the meantime, I, I think the only fight that Billy Joe Saunders would come back to the US for. Or actually, he wasn't even in the U.S. He was in Canada, no, Canada. Uh, for the continent. But the only time he would come back uh, to the U.S., I, th- I think he has fought in the U.S. once before, maybe not, um, is to fight the winner of Triple G and Canelo. I mean, uh, that's what uh, makes the most financial sense. But uh, uh, anyway, speaking of financial sense, um, Tyson Fury. Now, wh- just in case y'all forgot, that famous uh, one-hit wonder by Roy Jones Jr. In case y'all forgot, um, you know, Tyson Fury, uh, undefeated, 25-0, and 0, 18 knockouts. Um, you know, he had beaten Vladimir Klitschko, and then he kind of went off the deep end, you know. Uh, he ended up uh, losing uh, uh, all his titles because uh, uh, his boxing license was stripped. Uh, he had a substance abuse issue. Um, many people thought he had some mental issues, um, you know, ballooned up. He's, he's probably, uh, you know, a, a donut away from 600 pounds right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, make a long story short, he's back. And, you know, uh, they, uh, the, anti, the UK anti-doping agency dropped their case against him. Uh, they believed that he uh, ate non-castrated wild boar, which made him test positive for steroids, which I find uh, <laughs> you know, pretty funny. The, but I, uh, I, but I, anyway, even think it is. I, I know. It's like when the Mexican fighters, oh, what do you mean? Well, it's, it's from the beef. They put all the steroids in the beef. Yeah, okay. Well, but uh, anyway, um, you know, the truth of the matter is, is the powers that be expect him to be fully licensed by early 2018. And one of the fights that people are talking about, of course, is him against Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua is in control of, of the heavyweight division. According to the powers that be, um, specifically Eddie Hearn, he says, and I quote, there's only two reasons that a fight uh, between uh, Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua does not happen is going to be the negotiation of the financial split. Uh, Tyson Fury has lost all sense of reality in in you know uh, dealing with a fight with Anthony Joshua. He wants more than a 50-50 split, which is a joke. The second reason is that he can't even get himself into physical condition 
uh, which is going to be good enough to fight Anthony Joshua. He says, I've talked to Tyson Fury a number of times about it, and I don't know if he, if he was just having a laugh when he was saying uh, that it, it, it won't be a 50-50 split, uh, but we're not in a position to talk about uh, that fight until he gets in shape and until he can actually prove that he can uh, fight, you know, which uh, makes a lot of sense to me, Sal. I don't want to see Tyson Fury go from the, you know, buffet line into the ring to fight Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua has too many other, uh, uh, you know, irons in the pot. What, what do you think? No, I agree with you. I think, you know, being Tyson Fury is a namesake and, you know, has a, a good fan base, I'm sure, and he does have an undefeated record and he has fought some some great opponents and he's done a great job. But guess what? How many years ago was that? And, you know, he, he did have his issues that his uh, mental stability was in question at the time. He did gain a lot of weight. He hasn't fought in a long time. So I think he's got to uh, step up and, and get back in shape. He's got to do something. I think he needs at least an, uh, a, a comeback fight against a, a decent opponent. And he's got to show the world that, guess what? I'm back on the world stage. I'm ready. And I want Anthony Joshua. But no way in high water or low did this guy demand off the bat that he wants more than 50% of the gate or this and that and anything else. He doesn't have that leverage, okay? He was almost laughed out of the game a couple of years ago uh, with some of his antics. So I think this guy definitely should be humble, get back in shape, zip the lip, and get into the ring and show us what you can do. And then after the fight, come back and let's say, what can we do for you? Or what can they do for him? And that's the way it should happen. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. But. But. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you look at the guys that, you know, because obviously everybody, you know, uh, I I, I got to take a break, Sal. I, uh, I, I almost forgot. Billy C will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, just a programming note, we won't be doing a live show till uh, January 2nd. So mark that one down on your calendar. And speaking of marking things down, don't forget to mark down January 19th. C-Palms, be there. Sal and I are going to be doing another Billy C. Boxing event. We want you to be there with us we got some food lined up for you, a cash bar, and we're going to show you not one, not two, not three, but four classic fights on the big screen uh, that you get to watch and be part of our live audience uh, for the filming uh, of our next uh, Billy C. Boxing, uh, I'm sorry, Billy C.'s Boxing Revisited. So uh, make sure you make your plans now. Go to cpoms.com or just drop me an email and I'll uh, hook you up. Sal, uh, Anthony Joshua you know, I, I love this guy. I, I mean, not only as a fighter, but as a human being. I mean, he just, you know, I, I have a hard time believing fighters all the time because, you know, 
especially with the the old line from Bob Arum. You know, I was lying yesterday, but I'm telling the truth. I mean, today, I, you know, a lot of people, a lot of fighters seem to, to follow that rule. But when it comes to um, Anthony uh, Joshua, it seems like, you know, he tells it like it is, and it is what it is, you know. And, and you know, he don't want to play games, and, and that's the end of that. Uh, and he said, uh, you know, um, well, the names that always come up when you talk about Anthony Joshua right now is Joseph Parker, of course, Deontay Wilder. That's the fight we all want. And Tyson Fury's sprinkled in there now. Uh, Anthony Joshua said this the other day, uh, yesterday, actually. He says, we got to get our hands on another championship belt. He says, Joseph Parker is being very realistic in terms of when he's going to fight and the negotiations that are taking place right now. That's a fight that potentially could happen sometime in March or uh, early April. Uh, why do you say Parker first, you ask? He says, I don't like to give false promises, uh, but I uh, agree that Parker is more realistic in negotiations. As far as Wilder, he's nowhere close to being remotely realistic when in negotiations. He says, and as far as Tyson Fury, well, Tyson Fury has to get in shape before he can even fight anyone, let alone challenge me. I love it. Um, I, love it. I love it too. And I, I think it. that, but, but the truth of the matter here, Sal, is this is the truth of the matter. I mean, I mean let, let's be real. I mean, you know, I, I mean, the truth of the matter is simple. You know, he's the guy. He's the drawing power. You know, end right. of story. Deontay Wilder, listen, we want that fight. I think that that fight, and I said this yesterday, and I'll say it again. You know, Deontay Wilder and his advisement team, whether it be his manager, his advisor, his promoter, whatever, are not giving him the right uh, information. You don't try to, to hold out for, for money that he's never going to get. But if he accepted the offer that they gave him, he creates a, a, a situation for himself, even if he loses Sal, to be making way more money than he's ever made. He's 39-0 and 0 with 38 knockouts. He's never made $2 million. What makes him think all of a sudden he's going to demand $20 million or 50% or whatever uh, the fight generates? I say he take the $7 million that they offered him, and then even if he loses, the guy's never going to fight for less than a couple of million after that. Ever. What's your thoughts? That's how your marquee value goes up. It's it's easy. And, you know, you, you have a new benchmark now. And, uh, you know, your one or two million dollar fights is, is the, that was your uh, that was your sky's the limit is, is no longer there. It's surpassed. And, you know, uh, he could be a, a little bit more in control and, and say, hey, I'm not going to fight for less than five million or four million, whatever it is. And the networks and everybody else and those powers that may be. We'll have to ante up and create that situation that will allow them that kind of income. No, but here, the way, listen, the way it works is like this. It's simple. It's business 101, business, except with boxing, right? The truth of the matter is, is a fighter builds up and, and you get value. And, and, and by the way, put an asterisk next to that because most of the fighters of today, the way they build up the value is, is wrong because they build up value and then they don't have the product. Case in point, uh, Cletus Selden the other night. You know, Star Boxing built him up to a position where he gets a big fight and he lays an egg. And and now, you know, I think his value drops. The, the key here 
is when you get the opportunity, the performance has to be justified. It has to be a justified performance that, that's good enough. And I think in Deontay Wilder's case, a guy who's never made $2 million, 39-0, 38 knockouts, demanding boatloads of cash to fight AJ, and he's never made $2 million. You know, reports that he was offered $7 million plus U.S. television rights is a huge dollar amount for, for, for Deontay Wilder. Even if he loses, the guy will never fight for less than a few million after that. And quite frankly, $7 million plus U.S. television rights after all expenses is pretty much life-altering money, Sal. You know, and whether the guy wants to fight again if he loses, who cares? If he wins... He just created a, a $10 million a fight uh, a purse for himself from the rest of his career. It's stupid. They're misleading him. By him holding out and fighting these other guys for, for a couple of million, like you said yesterday, he's got to fight a bunch of fights. He could fight this one and then cash out with the next one, win, lose, or draw. I, I don't know. I think, I think he's being misled. I, I really think that they're taking advantage uh, of Deontay Wilder, his management. I, I I really believe that. Well, like we were saying yesterday, this guy can make $20 million in the next two fights and win, lose, or draw. He, he, he's set. He's fine. And, uh, you know, even if he nets out of the, the, that whole thing, uh, 6 to $10 million, uh, you know, he could probably avail himself a pretty good lifestyle and uh, and do other things. And you know what? By the way, it will not be his last fight, his next two fights, if they were to be with Anthony Joshua with a rematch in mind. So, I mean, it, it is humbling maybe for him, uh, but how they're advising him against that kind of pathway is really uh, not the best direction or path or suggestions that he's getting. No. We've got some emails to read. His first one's from Jesse. He says, hey, Billy C. and Sal, uh, I think the Joshua versus Wilder fight will happen, but it will happen at the end of the year, meaning I guess he means the end of next year. Uh, he sense. says, uh, I, I hope I hope so. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, if, if they both have a fight early 2017, yeah, it would be fall of uh, uh, 2018. It would be fall of 2018. But I kind of lean towards... Uh, Deontay Wilder, you know, uh, holding out more and and maybe realistically taking place in 2019. But anyway, he says, I read and hear that Adrian Broner will face Omar Figueroa. Figueroa, uh, do you like this bout? Um, yeah, I like this bout. I mean, uh, I, Adrian Broner, what a waste of talent. I, I just look at him as a waste of talent. He really, as a lightweight, he really was a quality fighter. I mean, you could, you know, I I, I think his personal um, you know, the way he is personally and the way his, his, his shtick is and act, I think it's, it's, it's old and, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's, it's funny because he says AB about billions, you know, he's nowhere near, but, uh, but yeah, he, <laughs> he, he, Omar Figueroa is a realistic fight for him. Maybe he can uh, uh, turn the ship. He says, I read Danny Roman will face Ryo uh, Mats, uh, Matsumoto. Uh, should be good bout to see how Danny fares against a top 20 fighter. Do you like uh, uh, Matsumoto's uh, resume? Um, you know, some of those fighters uh, that fight over, you know, in Japan and, and uh, you know, in, in, in Russia or whatever was Russia um, and, you know, Europe and stuff, sometimes you don't know how to gauge those guys, you know, um, because you never hear of them. Um, 
But I do think uh, Matsumoto is is a good fighter, and and I like to fight Danny Roman uh, and against him if if it fights. He says that uh, I read that Wilder versus Ortiz is uh, set for March third at the Barclays Center. I haven't heard that yet, but uh, he says I think it was evident that these two were going to face each other uh, after Ortiz's last bout. You mean that WWE <laughs> stick that they had, that scam, that that joke. You know, putting uh, uh, Ortiz in with Daniel Martz. I mean, I and, and I say that, that because I I promoted Daniel Martz. I had a couple of shows I did. I called a couple of shows with him. Um, he um, uh, is a nice guy, but uh, very limited. I thought Ortiz looked old and slow, and and I think Wilder will beat Ortiz if this fight was taking place. Uh, a year ago, or even two years ago, Ortiz mops the floor with Deontay, but I'm not so sure now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, that fight definitely had to happen. He says, "What's next for Odak Odaka uh, after he beats Paraga? After he beat Paraga, uh, how about uh, Okada? That's Okada uh, against Alex Suicido or Jose Cepeda or Ismail uh, Barrioso. Um, any of those would be good. I, I mean, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to to tell you about uh, Okada. I, I mean." It, I need fighters to fight, Sal. We need fighters to fight. I mean, that's what they do, you know? I mean, <laughs> you know, give me a break, you know, with all of the cherry picking. I mean, Floyd really set the sport back. And, and I, it's every time he's not involved in it as a fighter, I'm not saying about a promoter, because I wish Floyd would really go all out and, and, and focus on Mayweather promotions, because I think that that could really help the sport and keep him in the mix. Uh, but uh, every time he's out of it, in terms of fighting in the in the squared circle, boxing flourishes. Ah, I don't know. Maybe it's a coincidence. He says Billy is the anyway bout versus Johan uh, Boyo, uh, just to stay busy. Fight. It seems like it. It seems like it. Um, you know, Inuo has to stay busy. He's a young fighter, and he gets a lot of uh, respect. He's in a, a, a tough weight class because there's hardly any fighters in that weight class. And uh, the key is to stay busy. You know, go back in history and see all the great fighters stayed busy. This whole fighting once or twice a year is BS. And uh, Jesse wants to say happy holidays to Billy and Sal. See, thank you very much, Jesse. Thank we you enjoy much, your uh, interaction. And we'll look forward to the continuation of that uh, in 2018. Um, we're not taking a break here, so don't look for a break. Uh, we're giving you guys a, a treat. The next break will be... Uh, um, at uh, at nine when we do the uh, blast from the past. Uh, this is from Joel. He says, "Hey Billy C and Sal, what are your thoughts on Kovalev facing Igor uh, Mikhailin at Madison Square Garden in March? I feel Kovalev will face someone. I feel I I guess he meant to say I felt Kovalev would face someone better, but if Bivol ends up facing Sullivan Barrera, uh, that will be one hell of a fight. I would rather see that main event instead of Kovalev." against uh, Mick, ha Mick, Mick Hacklin uh, because I expect Sergi to put away Igor without a problem. I don't like the fight. I think Kovalev, I, you know, with all the respect I had for Sergi Kovalev, Sal, on his rise up and how we, we thought he was, you know, unbeatable, and then him quitting against Andre Ward, I lost all respect for him. And now this road back is just a, a smokescreen. I... No, if if he if he really wants to get back in the mix, Bivol is the guy he should go after. And 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 I can't believe just a side note. 
HBO the other day, and I try not to listen to these bozos all the time, but HBO really trying to sell the point that the light heavyweight division is so hot right now. Uh, how hot is it? I mean, you got Sergey Kovalev, who's, who's you know, I've lost respect. You agree. You got Sullivan Barrera. You got Bivol. You know, you got uh, some of these guys. Uh, it, it's hot if they fight each other. It's not hot if they find some other slugs to throw them in with and everybody walking around with belts. You know, I mean, then then it's the same as any other division, don't you think? I think so. And I think the the hot divisions right now in order, probably the middleweight division, a welterweight division, and the heavyweight division. Uh, I, you know, it's it's like a matter of opinion, yes, but uh, that's where a lot of the action, a lot of the big fights are right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, Joel says, I was curious, what was your and Sal's favorite fight of the year? If you could pick one. Uh, and then he says, I'd probably go with Klitschko, AJ. Uh, listen, and, and then he closes by saying, thanks for everything you guys do for us. Your fans, I want to wish you both a very happy holidays and a happy and healthy new year. Thank you very much, Joel. We, we, we definitely wish you uh, all yes. the best as well. Um, I know he's in the middle of his holiday right now, and uh, we hope uh, nothing but the best for you and a great uh, 2018 as well. As far as my favorite fight, Sal, I go with, I go with AJ and Klitschko because – of a couple of things. There was a lot of great fights this year, no question. A lot of them. And a lot of them. I mean, listen, let's let's face it. It started in January of 2017. It did. But, um, but the truth of the matter is the reason why, if, if when people ask me what I feel the fight of the year was in 2017, and again, I'm going to emphasize we had a plethora of uh, fantastic fights this year. Um, I say Joshua Klitschko only because of a couple of things. Number one, it was an exciting fight. I mean, you know, very rarely do we see exciting heavyweight fights anymore. That's number one. Number two, it had drama. It showed heart. It showed de determination. I mean, it was like, it was like, like, I hate to say it because I can't stand when you, and I was shocked that Dax referred to it too yesterday, but uh, I can't stand when people refer to Rocky movies as like, you know, they're comparing <laughs> something with, with real boxing and they compare but but I That's do want to compare it to a Rocky movie, and the reason why I say it is because it was Hollywood. It was like you can write a better script than what took place. But the main reason, aside from all of the excitement, you know, as the heavyweight goes, so does boxing. And this was a significant fight that really lifted the sport. Not only did it lift, and I agree with what you said a minute ago about the heavyweight division being a hot, uh, being so hot right now. But that fight really turned focus on the heavyweight division. And I think overall, it helped the sport. So the significance of that fight is why I have it as my fight of the year. What, what's yours, Sal? You know, I, I remember there were some great wars we saw. I, I can't even remember who the, you know, I, we, we saw Keith Thurman. We saw this one. We saw, there were so many great fights. I mean, uh, Anthony Joshua, yes, it's got to be in the forefront because of all the significant value that you just added. And, uh, you know, it was uh, the passing of the baton. And, you know, I, I also use use my, my spring action leaping off the couch screaming kind of indicator of which fights were that exciting for me. And Anthony Joshua and uh, Klitschko definitely rose uh, gave me that kind of <laughs> jumping off my couch like, wow, yeah. You know, that kind of enthusiasm because it was so uh, incredible that the ebb and flow and that the body, the soul, the hearts, you know, that you saw that they're in both fighters. 
So that definitely is going to rank in, in, in definitely my top three of the year. Uh, but there were quite a few good ones that I, I did have a, a, a lot of uh, uh, welcoming to. I think it was great. I think it was a great year. We were we were fortunate enough to see some fantastic fights. and uh, But Klitschko and, and definitely uh, Joshua is definitely going to be in that top three for me. Um, another email. This is from my man Johnston. You can... Uh... Uh, he put some stuff up on uh, our website, too, so check out his column. He says, hey, Billy C. and Sal, officially today, Eddie Hearn finalized a fight between two of his prized cruiserweights, Lawrence Oakley, who's 7-0 with six knockouts, and Isaac Chamberlain, who's 9-0 with four knockouts. The bitter London rivals will go head-to-head at the O2 Arena on February 3rd and look to settle a score that's been building up for months. The pair have been on, uh, been at war on social media uh, and uh, Oakley said, uh, I think it's going to be a bloody, brutal fight. I said when I first turned professional, I'm not here to mess around. I want to make take risks and push on. Chamberlain has done a lot of talking, and on February 3rd, we'll see if he can back up his words. It's one for the fans, a thriving domestic division. People will finally see me come out of the cage. Chamberlain said, it's been a long time coming. I'm pleased we finished and signed off. Uh, now that it's done, we can both focus on the fight. It's a great fight for British fans. Nothing uh, has been given to me, and I still have that underdog mentality. Everything I want, to, I have to go and get it. I've earned my stripes. Uh, that made uh, me a lot stronger of a fighter, and that's going to show on February 3rd. I want to knock him out. I'm going to knock him out. Uh, I'm going to train hard. I'm going to knock him out. Uh, he says the pair would be uh, will head a stacked card, including Natasha Jones, who's 4-0, uh, with four knockouts, taking on Reese Bellotti, who's 11-0 with 10 knockouts. And um, Ben Jones is uh, taking on Ben Jones, uh, who's 22-6. and six. Uh, He says another fighter to watch out for is Ted Cheeseman. He's 12-0 with eight knockouts uh, when he takes on Carson Jones. Wow, that's a, that's a big fight, 40-12. and 12. Uh, Also on the bill is uh, Oakley's uh, Rio Olympic teammate, Joshua Brutasi, who's 3-0 with two knockouts. Uh, O'Hara Davies, 16-1 with 13 knockouts, and Felix Cash, who's 7-0 and 5 knockouts. He says, I'm somewhat surprised that Eddie Arner has finally given in to the demands of both fighters who have been very vocal about fighting each other, especially considering that neither have a, uh, got at least 10 pro fights yet. Saying that, I'm looking forward to a great fight. There's absolutely nothing wrong with losing. The only damage it could do is derail their careers for 18 months or so. If anything, it shows younger generation that the O means absolutely nothing, and good fighters can fight each other instead of having a protected record. Listen, thanks for the email, Johnson. And and I can't agree. Uh, listen, I can understand why a promoter might be hesitant, Sal. But let mm-hmm. me tell you something. This is the kind of fights that made boxing great in its heyday, in the golden era between the, in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, all right, and, and, and into the 50s as well. That's what took place. And what it does is it creates rivalries. You know, in this case, it's already a rivalry. But, you know, in the States, we'd have neighborhood against neighborhood, the Italians against the Irish night, you know, uh, whatever, you know, and, and exactly. that we're so everybody's so afraid to build stuff like that today. But that's what created rivalries. You know, uh, every single town had a boxing arena and, and it was popular, the sport. And the reason is because it developed a home base of fans that followed their guy. We don't have that today. It's hard no. to put on a club level show. You know, even the young fighters are demanding too much to fight. You know, it's either, it, listen, sign up and be a fighter and do what these two guys are doing, fight each other. And, and I agree with Johnston. 
Losing a fight doesn't, it, it shouldn't mean that your career is shot. And let me tell you something about these two guys fighting each other now, Sal. They are going to, this fight will help both of those fighters, regardless of who wins or loses. Having the experience fighting a guy that's equal to yourself after 10 fights or so, or in this case, even less than 10, I think is a good thing. It helps you get better. What's your thoughts? I think you're 100% correct there. And, you know, what a rivalry or scenario this could breed for a future. I mean, let's say they get in the ring and, and one one beats the other. And guess what? If they both go on in a career and good paths and stay on top of the game and improve and increase their level of competition and their significant value in the weight division, hey, who's to say they can't re-meet on that revenge note and uh, 10 fights later? And what a great uh, what a great scenario that would be. That's, as you said, suggested and said. That's how the rivalries were created. That's how uh, rematches occurred. That's 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 how it, it all started. And why not? This is a nice little seed to plant, and we hopefully will see it come to fruition uh, a couple of years from now. Let's see what happens today. Um, got another email. This one's from uh, my man Mitch. He says uh, the subject is bullseye. He says, uh, "See, Billy, this is why AJ versus Wilder ain't gonna happen till 2019." It's a game of bully, and the rules are everybody beats up on AJ. Good thing, the good thing is Eddie Hearn is going to call stuff out before the guys spin it. Uh, if Hearn didn't say anything today, then tomorrow's spin would have been Fury saying, we tried to make a deal with AJ, but he's scared of us, so we lowered our asking price, and he priced himself out. Uh, Joseph, Deontay, Tyson, you're not going to get a 50-50 split, but in this case, Fury wants a lot more than a 50-50 split. <laughs> That's ridiculous. He says, I'm glad uh, Hearn spoke up. And, uh, yeah, we talked about that earlier. He sent he, He's sending a link to uh, uh, a, uh, a story that uh, talks about that. He says, secondly, Billy, I swear that the promoters and the boxers listen to your show. He says, every time you bring up a topic, the next day it gets addressed. He says, here's a case in point. And he's and he refers to the uh, the Canelo um, uh, Triple G fight. He says you talked about it on yesterday's show, and <clears throat> we get a press release that gets uh, sent out that they're negotiating the contracts right now. He says this has happened too many times this year to be a coincidence. Every time you and Sal address something, fifteen to twenty four hours later, it gets addressed with a press release or some other type of action. Do you really think? These are coincidences. Um, <laughs> you know, I love his train of thought. And, hey, <laughs> it's it's like Salazzo telling Michael Corleone, hey, kid, you, you think too much of me, kid. Yeah, I, I'm not that powerful. But, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what. Billy, we never know who may be listening. And, uh, you know, it just takes a little seed to plant somewhere and uh, somebody runs with it. So guess what if we're if we're uh, the Johnny Appleseeds of the boxing world hey let's go for it pal well if they're if they're listening and they're they're you know m maybe the best thing to do is have one of the major promoters uh, give me a call and I'll be glad to work as a consultant uh, maybe we can save each other some time and effort right so uh, th thanks for the email Mitch and I hope you have a, uh, a great holiday uh, this next one uh, is from uh, Willie and on this email, he says, uh, a sad man until the first show of the new year. Uh, he says, hey, Billy C., well, here's the last email from me. 
uh, for 2017. I can't believe I'm saying that already. This year has flown by so quickly. Thanks for the wonderful fun we've had for the last 12 months with uh, you, Sal, and, and Dax, and Larry, and Jeremy C., and everyone else. He says, between you all, you've brightened up my life by giving me something extra special to look forward to each day. Uh, to the point that now I can't imagine my life without my daily dose of Billy C. Uh, it's like medicine to me. We've had a fantastic year of boxing in all the divisions. And with all the new talent we've been keeping an eye on starting to shine through, it's looking like next year is going to be even better. I hope I hope it continues to, to go in the right direction. He says, uh, I'll finish off by wishing you and all your family and friends and the dog a wonderful and happy Christmas and New Year. Uh, he says, take care. You guys are the best out there. We respect you. Um, thank you so much, Willie. And uh, I'd like to humbling, wish you Willie. and thank your you. family uh, a very uh, happy holidays and a prosperous new year. And uh, we couldn't do it without you guys, that's for sure. So uh, I appreciate that 100%. Uh, one more email. This one's from Coach. And he Coach. says, uh, he says uh, hey, guys, how is this for odds? He said, this past Saturday... On a Mung Hoon song, Dayon Promotions, 11-bout card in South Korea, there were nine... Only Coach could come up with this. Only Coach could come up with this because he's the only guy following uh, a 11-bout card in South Korea. So uh, congratulations <laughs> to Coach. He said that on an 11-bout card in South Korea, there were nine upset wow. majority decisions and two draws. Uh, he says, and while I'm speaking of odds... Even after the most level-headed sports fans have seen through the WWE-styled scam hyped as Mayweather versus pro-debuting boxer Conor McGregor, he says, uh, I just uh, have to point out that my prediction uh, of fraud Mayweather uh, taking his checkbook into a UFC cage is inching closer. What do you think? Uh, let me tell you something. If look, people know that I'm not, if, if, if anybody knows, everyone that watches this show knows that uh, I'm not a big Mayweather fan. Yeah, I know. I know. It's a little shocking. It's a little shocking. But, but I, I'm, I'm not a big Mayweather fan. Um, but let me tell you this. If Floyd Mayweather gets into a cage and fights an MMA fight. And as long as he's not fighting a guy with no arms and no legs, I would give Floyd Mayweather all the credit in the world for doing that. I don't even care if he wins, if he loses. The one thing is if he loses, it doesn't go on his boxing record, so he can still you know brag about that. But the truth of the matter is, as long as it's a guy that has both arms and both legs, I give him credit. I do not think it's going to happen joining us now right now and hopefully we'll get his thoughts on this sal with uh me and sal is uh dax khan dax mayweather in a cage you think it's possible anything's possible you think it's going to happen um, whether or not it's going to happen i don't think so but anything's possible i don't think it's going to happen what do you think sal no way no way would he ever subject himself to real harm's way and you know what? He can go in with a rank amateur MMA guy with some experience, and that guy will probably hurt him, dismantle him, and hey, I can't, I can't give him that much of a, of a deficit. But you know what? 
no, it's going to be it's going to be uh, another world for him to experience. And like I said, just just like he had so easily handled, and yes, maybe even carried uh, Conor McGregor. Guess what? You go in that MMA cage with a with a good veteran that knows what he's doing, and uh, Mayweather is going to have a little dose of reality that he's going to wish he never went in there. It's not gonna happen. It ain't gonna happen. No, I don't it won't happen. It's I, like it's the rhetoric. It's the it's the fluff without the stuff. Floyd Mayweather. Listen, Floyd Mayweather can't not be in the limelight. Anytime some other fighter gets some some you know press, Floyd does something just to keep his name in there. He's he's he, you know he doesn't have vices aside from gambling. He's not into drugs. He's not into alcohol. But I'll tell you what, he's into his ego. Hey hey Dax, I, I appreciate you coming on today. Um, to give us your thoughts on your favorite fights or your what you feel were the best fights of 2017. There's a lot of them, so uh, let us know what you think. All right, my, you know, my five aren't not, not every one of these fights were the, the highest of profile fights, and each one was you know, my favorite for a different reason, but they were all great fights, uh, definitely. Uh, you know, starting out last year, you mentioned this fight earlier, was the uh, the Badu Jack and James DeGal fight in, in January. You know, you had the two best 168-pound fighters in the world. You know, they, they went in there at the Barclays Center, which is becoming one of the most prized or, or uh, established venues in the world, and they went in, and, and they, they put on such a high-quality fight that ended in the majority draw, but without controversy. Uh, Badu Jack goes down in the first round. He gets up. Uh, it looks like James DeGal is going to, uh, you know, really do what the British fighters have been doing and, and control this and put on uh, a show. But, you know, Badu Jack, he, he comes back and he wins those middle rounds. Uh, he drops James DeGal for the first time in James's career. Uh, you know, both guys, it was a give and take fight. It, it, it was it was so closely contested. Uh, the biggest uh, score difference was by Glenn Feldman that uh, won 14 won 12 in favor of uh, Badu Jack. Uh, Drew Letterman and Steve Weisfeld had it 113-113 and there was no complaints because the fight was that good and, and they actually set the bar for, for all the other uh, top fights coming for the rest of the year in my opinion. Um, and my second fight was also on that card um, and that was the Levin Kaitrov and the Emmanuel Aleem fight. Um, that was on the undercard. Uh, they were both undefeated fighters. Uh, Kaitrov being billed as the prospect uh, to watch out for. Aleem was the undefeated fighter whose uh, record was more or less uh, built up, but yeah, he would look good on paper for this prospect to have a win over this undefeated fighter. But Emmanuel Alimi says not tonight. He goes right after Kaitrov. They trade big punches. Alim tees off uh, on Kaitrov in the center of the ring. Kaitrov uh, goes down. He gets up. He pins Alim on the ropes. He tees off on him. Uh, you know, then there's this back and forth action. There's no give and take. Both guys are capitalizing on the biggest moments of the career. And then finally, in a dramatic fashion, we mentioned uh, Hollywood. I uh, talked about Rocky yesterday. He mentioned today uh, Alim comes and he shakes, he rocks Kytrov uh, to the point that Eddie Claudio literally had to step in and stop Kytrov uh, uh, from falling to the mat and taking more punishment. It was, it was exciting and every other fight after this year uh, you know, from that, you know, they had to set that bar, they had to meet the standards of James DeGal and this fight. Yeah, two the great fights. That that DeGal fight with Bado Jack was uh, was fantastic. Uh, uh, that was uh, that was a great one. There's so many to pick from this year, right? 
Yeah, there is. There's a lot, but you know, these were my favorites, and you know, it's not always because of what takes place in the ring, but the story around it uh, is is you know, you have to take those and think about the whole situation, and that's what makes a fight great. As I was stating yesterday, when you watch the story unfold uh, and you watch the careers of the fighters, and, and you see these moments, and that what that's what makes them great. Uh, my my third fight of the year was the uh, Juan Francisco Estrada versus the Carlos Kudras fight on the uh, the Superfly card. Uh, these guys are both former Roman. Gonzalez opponents. Roman Gonzalez had wins over them. They were actually on the, uh, they were the uh, co-main event, for, and uh, they were the mandatory for the winner of uh, Soro Vici and Roman Gonzalez in the rematch. Uh, that title was once held by Kudras, and uh, he lost that to Gonzalez, who had lost that earlier in the year to Rungvisai. And uh, Gonzalez actually had a win over Juan Francisco Estrada, who was stepping up into the higher weight class. One guy controls the first portion of the fight um, with his power. He, uh, he's the more aggressive fighter. Uh, you, you think he's going to go in there, and he's actually going to uh, bully and take control in, in terms of uh, Kudras, because that's what he did with Roman Gonzalez. You know, with their fight that was you know, so razor thin, a lot of people, in my opinion, thought that Roman Gonzalez might have lost that fight. And then what happens is uh, Ron Francisco Estrada shows that, you know what, it's not always about power, it's, it's, it's about boxing finesse and ability, and he comes back and he takes control of the rest of it. And um, he, uh, you know, finally, you know, he ends up dropping Kudras, and that fight, again, was so close. Uh, all three judges had the same 113-114 across the board, and again, there was not a single complaint, and that fight was so closely contested at such a high level, that knockdown that uh, Estrada... Uh, uh, scored over Kudras is what actually decided that. Yeah, another great, you know, that fight I totally forgot all about, to tell you the truth. I mean, there's, there was so many of them. And the truth is, you know something, considering the fact that both guys lost to Gonzalez uh, and the fact that uh, Kudros has a win over Rungvisai and these guys were the undercard, that tells you, you know something, the undercard guys are not always, uh, you know, the Kofi, they may be better than the main event guys. And this is a situation where we might see that. And in such a small division, to see these guys all perform at such a high level, that's what makes it exciting. And the final? And, um, I'm sorry? No, and what's, your, what's the last one? No, I have uh, two more. Oh, My third one, of course, you mentioned already, was the Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko fight. It wasn't supposed to play out the way it did. Vladimir Klitschko was done before the fight was ever signed. He had just lost a very boring, uninspired fight to Tyson Fury, ending his almost decade-long reign as the division king. A guy who was declared so boring because he was just so dominant and nobody could really challenge him. People were almost happy that he left. Then he comes in and goes to war with the young champion, the kid that people feel is going to usher in the next era of heavyweight boxing and is going to be the next great heavyweight. Klitschko actually drops Joshua. Joshua gets up. He shows that he has a chin. He answers these doubts on, you know, what happens if Joshua gets hit? Does Joshua actually have heart? Joshua comes back, and he goes after Klitschko. He's landing these monster punches on the champion that always fought safe, the, the champion that supposedly had the China chin. Uh, the, that uppercut alone that Vladimir Klitschko ate that snapped his head up. You see pictures and you actually see the muscles of Klitschko's head uh, you know, flexing because Klitschko's uh, neck and his face is just you know, contorted backwards. And, you know, and Klitschko, you know, he walks through that and he keeps fighting forward. You know, eventually Klitschko ends up being taken out, but he goes out on his shield. He said, you know something, I'm going to show what I'm really about. My decade-long reign was not a fluke. I was not a boring fighter. I was a fighter who controlled this division for a reason. And if this young fighter's going to come in there and he's going to be the future of it, you know something, I want him to 
to go in there and I want him to show everybody this is the future of the sport. I'm passing the torch. I didn't pass the torch in a boring fight. I didn't get outboxed. We fought. We fought at a high level, and this is what boxing is about. This is what heavyweight boxing is about, and this is what has always made the heavyweight division the greatest division in all of boxing. No doubt. No doubt. Now, after all those fights, I'm curious to know what your top fight was because that's a tough one to top for me, Dax. And and all, all, all of the significance behind that fight and how it carried the rest of the sport, like Sal and I were saying earlier, it's hard to, to think of one above it, but I'm sure you got one. What is it? I, I have two. I spoke about this um uh, thing maybe yesterday earlier uh, or last week was uh, the John Molina Jr. versus Ivan Redkich fight. You know, again, like I said, these are all, not all these are the highest profile, the greatest fighters. You know, this was one of those fights where neither guy was going to climb the ladder with a win and uh, lose wasn't really going to hurt either one. But, you know, John Molina Jr. has always been a warrior. Early in that fight, he looked so old. He looked slow in that first round. You really thought that Redkich was just going to slam the uh, uh, coffin, put the nail on the coffin of the lid of John Molina's career. Um, he hurts John Molina up. John Molina gets up. Then uh, what happened is he sends John Molina to the canvas. Uh, John Molina goes back to his corner after the second round on rubber legs. You're saying to yourself, you know something, uh, if Red Catch lands one or two more punches on Molina, this fight's going to be over. And what does John Molina do? He recovers in between rounds in spectacular fashion, almost superhuman fashion. He comes out and he goes after Ivan Redcatch and he hurts Redcatch and they're trading punches and Redcatch, you know, he thinks, okay, you know what, I have him. Uh, he comes after him, and then John Molina, you know, he's, he's going backwards, and then uh, he hits Molina, then Red Catch, he, he starts uh, showboating, and what happens after that? John Molina lands a huge punch on Red Catch just after Red Catch starts showboating, and Molina smells blood, and he goes right after him. The second it landed, it went right after him, and he pins Red Catch on the ropes, and he lets loose a barrage of punches that Red Catch ends up falling forward to the canvas, and as he's getting up again, almost like a Hollywood movie, Red Catch has to be saved by the referee, and John Molina shows, you know something? Just when you think I'm done, I'm not done. <laughs> it's true. Like it. It's true, right, Sal? Oh, absolutely. That's that's what makes a fighter a fighter. I mean, uh, not just that incident, but that's the heart, that's the passion, that's the mind, that's the will of a fighter to never give up. It's like uh, fight one more round. When you think you've had it, just come out and fight that one more round and what, give it. And that's it. What's your top one, brother? My fight of the year has to be uh, Miguel Mikey Roman against Orlando Salido. Wow. You know, wow. you know, you have you have here, again, you know, you have here uh, two guys who've had hard luck careers. Uh, Orlando Salido, a guy who's always been brought in as the opponent. He's always been brought in the last minute. Again, he's always been brought in as the guy who wasn't supposed to win. Orlando Salido's never a guy who was overly skilled. They even disrespected this guy so much to the point that they thought Vasil Lomachenko, forget about he uh, fouled him, forget about he came in overweight, just they thought they were going to bring this guy in and use him as a showcase, and Orlando Salido says, you know something, I'm nobody showcase, you want to win over me, you're going to come in here, you're going to fight a man, I'm not a puppet, you know, he's been in there with Mikey Garcia, Vasil Lomachenko, Juan Manuel Lopez, Uriorkis Gamboa, Guerrero, Castellanos, name it, same thing Miguel Roman, he's been, you know, in there with so many guys, so many top names, he's come up short, he's come in at the uh, last minute, taking 
making short purses. These guys have literally fought for purses half of what we see a prospect coming up who's never spilt the drop of blood, who's never beaten a name, gets on a regular basis for an ESPN sh uh, show. You know, they go in there and they wage the war. It was a war. It was a skillful war, despite what some people think. You know, to stand there to trade, to work that body inside style, you know, as a former fighter, to know exactly where to land those punches, uh, to use that physicality the way they do. That takes skill. That's something that you don't do and you don't learn in one or two fights. These guys had over a combined 120 fights apiece. They had over a combined 25 losses. And you know something? You would say to yourself, how's this going to end? Both these guys have really lost in horrible fashion. And, you know, when they won, they won. But it seems like Salido would be the guy to win. But, then, uh, you know, Salido, this is a guy here. All those wars, 60-something fights. You know, he, he goes down. He gets up. He hurts Roman. Roman hurts him. You're sitting there. You're on the edge of your seat. Social media is going crazy. I'm screaming and yelling at the screen. And then all of a sudden, that one big punch, Orlando Salido goes down. And from all those wars, you seen the look on his face. His heart wanted to fight, but his mind said, you know what? I want to, but his body just, I can't do it anymore. Salido came to terms with that. You seen that expression on his face. He You're knew right. it was coming sooner or later, but you know what? He didn't expect it to happen there. But on the other hand, what made that moment beautiful is he was actually happy with that. He knew he was in there with a guy who had a career very much like his, with less success, of course, but a hard luck kid who's always come in there as the opponent, last minute, short money, and when in the post-fight, as they're talking and you're looking at Salido, Salido had this look on his face, and when they hugged, it was almost like he said, if anybody was going to do this to me, I'm glad it was you, not some world champion, not somebody with a big backing, not somebody who, uh, win or lose, is going to get another big fight. Somebody, you know, who's had a career like I have and somebody who is going to be able to benefit from this. I'm glad it went out this way. I'm glad it went out my way. And you have to appreciate that in boxing. If you don't appreciate that in boxing, you don't appreciate these backstories. Like I always say, you're not a boxing fan. You're not a fan of the sport. You're a fight fan. And guys like Salido, guys like John John Molina are the guys that you have to appreciate in this sport because they make the sport. They make the stars. You can't be a star without guys like this because guys like this are going to give you star-making performances. And for the fans. Guys like this are going to let you know whether or not these guys that are supposed to be stars really are stars when they step in there against them because they're going to answer any questions and any doubts there is about anybody they go in there against. And when they win, they win. When they lose, they lose. But you know what? No matter what, you know there was a warrior and you earned your money and they earned their money and it was beautiful. And that's what you have to like and you have to appreciate a guy like Orlando Salido for everything he did. Well, great. Well said. I, I, really, really. Uh, Dax, great job on your uh, fights of the year. And uh, you, you you caught me off guard with that one, but uh, you justified it every step of the way. So uh, I appreciate all the time and effort uh, that you uh, put into that. And uh, we got some great things cooking for 2018, and uh, you're part of it with that uh, uh, that new segment we're going to be doing, uh, the four of us, you and Sal, myself, and Alex. So we'll be doing that. That kicks off next year. It was supposed to kick off this year, but, man, did this year fly by. But speaking of Alex – we got to go. We got to do the blast from the past. Sal, I'll be talking to you in a little bit. Dax, I'll be talking to you like we always do over the weekend or whatever. But right. uh, Everybody else, enjoy your holiday, and we'll see you in 2018. All right, take guys. Care, listen, Dax, Dax great, great job. job. And uh, listen, I'm going to take a short break. When I come back, blast from the past. This week, we're doing Henry Cooper. That would be Sir Henry Cooper to you because, well, he's a sir. Billy C will be right back. 
Now back to Talkin' Boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C, damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. The undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Don't forget about our... Uh, after the holiday holiday party, yeah, it's a tongue twister, but it's it's you get the point, right? Join us January nineteenth. It's a Friday night at the beautiful Sea Palms Resort in Saint Simon's Island or on Saint Simon's Island, uh, where uh, we are going to have uh, we're going to show you not one, not two, not three, but four classic fights. You're going to be part of our live audience while we rebroadcast them. We're going to have some food for you. We're going to have a cash bar. We're going to have some celebs there. Be there because uh, you missed the last one. Don't miss this one. Just reach out to cpoms.com or drop me an email, Billy at Talking Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com for information. Well, it's that time. Uh, again, uh, for our blast from the past, this is another one that's requested by one of you's guys, a viewer and listener. And if you want to request one, just drop me an email. Today's blast from the past is being brought to us in part by KOFantasyBoxing.com. Check it out, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. Join today. And this week's blast from the past is also being brought to us in part by the Title Bout Championship computer game which keep an eye on because uh, we are going to be doing our new segment next year, this new year coming up, which features uh, more play from the title bout championship computer game. And this week's blast from the past uh, features uh, a former world title challenger, but he was also a longtime British and Commonwealth and European heavyweight champion. His name, Sir Henry Cooper, and telling us all about Sir Henry Cooper is my man, Sir Alex Perpali. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Billy C. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, getting ready for that uh, guy in a red suit to squeeze his ass through the chimney. You know, you know how it is. You know, and uh, you know, I just got to remember not to have a fire going. You know, I don't want to miss out on all the Billy C. goods. <laughs> That's right. You know, and. Um damn youtube for all their uh copyright rules uh because i love to hear a little of that uh i know i know tell me about it I mean, you're, you're right you know uh christmas carols with i can't their, do uh, it laws. i can't do it anymore i every day i have to claim you know it's my own stuff it's my own video it's it's my own property it's you know every day i go through this with them it's so nerve-wracking you know and i try to put the show up there just you know so people can watch it or whatever and it's cumbersome every day and you want to know you remember the bit you remember the bit that we used to do 
uh, coming back from a break. It was Bill Clinton. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, right. I keep getting flagged. Now, you know how many years I use that? I'm getting right. flagged for the background music, Hail to the Chief. Oh, bro! Can you? I know, I know. And and they they keep they somebody spending a hell of a lot of time looking through all our shows, picking out those commercials. Uh, and they're doing it because every day I'm getting like four or five. And you know what I'm doing now? Deleting them. So all of the uh, shows, uh, and we've had many many shows up on uh, uh, YouTube. I'm you, you're starting to notice a lot of them disappearing because any copyright. Uh, you know, uh, violation or anything. I'm deleting. So, um, anyway, let's let's move on. Uh, enough yeah, about me, the, Alex. Enough about the, me. You know. I guess the only way to get around that these days is to just use all the uh, just the freebie sound effects they give you in the programs, which are all you know fair use type things. But uh, otherwise, yeah, it's a pain. Alex, I'm getting flagged for some of the commercials that are mine. <laughs> I have Why to prove. I know. I have to prove that they're mine. It's got my number on it. It's got my account on it. You know. It's got to be. They must use some sort of program that. It's a uh, tool. Yeah. It's called a take. It's called a takedown tool. They call it. Oh. But uh. But anyway, I, I think we just got to create Jeremy some more work. He's got to. He's got to get the band back together and start creating us some stuff. Even that. You remember when I went through a time where I was playing some band like early, you know, bands starting out. Yep. Once they sign a record deal, they go back and want all the credit for that. <laughs> you know, and, oh, and, so and old funny. Billy C's made Ugats off that, you know. Yeah, so, it's like, uh, oh, yeah, thanks for that. Help that ladder up. I'll yeah, go, yeah. Right back up yeah, with me now. Exactly, exactly. Tell us about Sir Henry Cooper. Sir Henry Cooper. Yes, uh, this guy um, was, uh, you know, if he had one knock against him, uh, he was just thin-skinned. And as a uh, child of narcissist, I find uh, I can relate to that because I'm a thin-skinned guy, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, he was born on May 3rd, 1934 in uh, Westminster, uh, London, England. And he's actually uh, just about 20 minutes older than a twin brother, George, who uh, also had uh, sort of thin skin. Um, you know, he did at, at one point uh, talk about it. He said that, uh, you know, he thinks that it's just something genetic that, um, you know, the the brow, uh, the bones of his brow uh, were just a little, you know, sharper or something. And uh, he had a tendency to cut. And it was his undoing in some of his uh, biggest matchups. But he came into, uh, was born into a boxing family. His uh, dad boxed. His grandfather was a uh, supposedly a, a bare knuckle fighter and even his mother uh at some point um supposedly was able to box uh, i mean rather not his mother his grandmother um but he was brought up at uh bellingham in south london uh southeast london and um he uh at at, at 15 himself and his brother they both um started uh training at the elfham club and uh, he went 73 and 11 as an amateur, had a really good amateur record, uh, won a couple of AB title, ABA titles. Um, and he actually sort of backed into the sport. He uh, lost his first four amateur fights, and uh, he blamed his mom's uh, bread pudding for that, 
Um, but he was a flat-footed puncher. Uh, he had some pretty good, um, pretty good skills, uh, and he was uh, had an incredible left hook. Uh, they referred to it as Henry's Hammer. And um, sorry for that. That was bad, bad uh, accent. You tried. Um, you tried. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, this punch, Bill. This punch, punch was so impressive. Uh, I think they did this also. Uh, the U.S. Um, Department of Ways and Means or something at some point measured Rocky Marciano's punch. Yeah. Well, uh, aeronautical engineers in Britain measured uh, Henry Cooper's left hook at one point, and they used this uh, special camera, which was one of the highest tech, uh, you know, camera available, and it was able to shoot 6,000 frames per second. And they found that uh, over seven inches... Um, his punch was actually three times faster than a Saturn rocket. And in the course of traveling seven inches, it was able to generate 4.5 tons of force upon impact. So he, uh, Henry Zammer was uh, quite a punch. Well, he only had 20, out of 40 wins, he had 27 knockouts. He had less than a 50% knockout ratio. They should recalibrate that machine or something, right? <laughs> well, I guess, you know, you could have the punch, but it's another thing about getting into the Right. <laughs> it's, it's, you have the punch. It's another thing about, you know, if you can land it in the right spot. You know, it's like lightning. It never lands in the same spot twice, you know. But uh, he had a long pro career, 17 years. Started in 1954, went all the way to 71, and he was a world traveler. He traveled all over the place, didn't he? Yeah, he sure did. And um, at one point, it um, it was funny. He, uh, if you notice in his record, he had a couple of fights in a row in uh, in Germany, and um, he the, he was bouncing back from a loss, uh, and he went off to Germany and fought. And I, I saw there's an interview on you YouTube, and the inter the interviewer asked him. He says, um, "So you went to." Um, Germany to, to find this doctor who was going to teach you how to relax. And he said, uh, uh, yeah, she was a female about 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're right uh, about some of the early stoppages and, and the latter stoppages uh, were technical knockouts due to, um, due to uh, cuts. And he fought some, uh, you know, experienced fighters uh, in Germany and in the U.K., of course. Uh, he picked up his... Uh, 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 Commonwealth or British Empire title in 1957 um, when uh, um, he beat, uh, actually, um, he had, he tried for it in 1957 three times, I might add, and, and lost. Uh, he finally picked it up in, in 1959 against Brian London. But the fight that I wanted to talk about was he fought Azura Foley twice. And I believe that the Zora Foley fight especially the first one in 1958, which got him in a position to uh, fight for the uh, British heavyweight title again, um, you know, uh, a couple of months later uh, where he picked it up, was uh, a, a, a career-defining fight. He beat Zora Foley in a 10-round decision in October of 1958, but he did fight Zora Foley again in 1961 and didn't fare as well. But Zora Foley kind of... Although he had traveled throughout Europe, Zora Foley uh, kind of put him on the worldwide map. And I believe, even though it was several years later, I believe that this fight uh, catapulted him 
to some of the bigger fights against the bigger names that we'll talk about in a little bit. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And I think at the time that was Zora Foley was one of the top ranked guys. Um, so, I mean, that's one even, you know, his own words. One of the one of the things he says in this interview on YouTube that I watched uh, is one of the biggest compliments that you could pay to any boxer is that he fought the best of his era. And um, Zora Foley was one of the best of his era. Uh, and that's you know, that first win um, definitely was, uh, you know, Foley was favored and uh, that was a big win, although he was bleeding badly in the, those last couple of rounds um, and he had been dropped. That is a big victory. Then he wins over Brian London. Uh, but yeah, in the rematch, he claimed he just he didn't really take it seriously and he got stopped by Foley in two. Uh, that's the thing that's unfortunate, I think, about Cooper and probably where he suffers in terms of I mean, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, if you look at, you know, his record against Hall of Famers, he did fight three of them. Uh, but he got he was beaten each time uh, by Ingemar Johansson. Um, he was stopped by Floyd Patterson. He was stopped by Ali. He was stopped twice on cuts. Uh, Johansson and Patterson were, you know, legit TKOs. Uh, he was down um, and the ref waved it off. Uh, but um, yeah, that definitely after that Foley win, that's his he was one of the top. Um, heavies, and that's what led to the first fight. You know, with at that time, uh, the young Muhammad Ali was still Cassius Clay, and uh, of course, that fight is the one that had the famous um, long round. Uh, I mean, long rest period, which it's kind of interesting because in some places it says it's sixty six seconds, uh, other places say it's two minutes and thirty seconds. Um, but uh, that was where one thing that does happen, and you could see it on the video, is well, of course, I'm, I'm sort of. Uh, it was a huge fight, and um, at the time, uh, Ali, you know, was Clay, and he was uh, making predictions, and he predicted that he was going to stop uh, Henry Cooper, and um, he uh, was on the way to doing it when uh, he tripped over a left hook. And uh, Cooper says that uh, the fight would have very, he said that in his life, in his whole career, he threw uh, five great left hooks, and that was one of them. And the unfortunate thing is that if when you watch the replay, uh, he nailed uh, Ali, and Ali goes down along the ropes. If it had been further out in the center of the ring, Cooper thinks the fight would have been over. Because if you think about it, uh, when you watch the replay, the re the ropes did catch him and sort of slowly put him on the canvas. Whereas, of course, if you get dropped in the center of the ring, you go down and then you get that whiplash effect where your head bounces off the canvas. Um, that could have put him out. But, of course, it's Ali, you know, so who knows? Um, but uh, there was Angelo Dundee working his magic. There was two things. One, the cut glove, which if you do watch, there is a split in the glove. They did not replace the glove. They ran to the uh, locker room. There were no other gloves. After that fight, uh, they would keep an extra pair of gloves under the ring. I guess today they still do. Yeah. But one, one thing that you also notice, and at the time, evidently, this was illegal, um, but not always illegal, evidently. But in this fight, it, it should have been. Angelo Dundee breaks a smelling salt under uh, Ali's nose. Uh, you could see it on the replay. Uh, and I guess in the rematch, um, Cooper's management, you know, 
argued firmly that there better not be any smelling salts. Um, but, uh, of course, Ali comes out the next round and uh, stops him on a TKO, just had him just draining blood, and uh, the fight was over. Yeah, well, they, the rule, smelling salts were legal up until, I can't, I, I thought I thought they were legal. Um, maybe, maybe it was right around that time when, when they became illegal, but they, they used to use smelling salts all the time, man. I mean, that's yeah. how they revived the guys. But, uh, but yeah, they, the split glove was classic, and as a result, um, now, uh, when you have uh, a fight, the, most commissions require, I think all commissions in the States anyway, require uh, an extra pair of gloves, definitely for championship fights. Um, championship fights, you got to have uh, uh, the, the, the gloves there. And, um, you know, uh, in the event of, uh, of a damaged glove, um, you know, you have them right there so that uh, nobody can complain, you know, taking your time, walking back to the locker room or whatever. But uh, after that Ali, fight... Ali said, definitely said that it was a very hard punch. Uh, he said, not only did that punch shook me, but it shook my relatives in Africa. Yeah, no, I remember that. And Ali, Ali always came up with some good ones, that's for sure. But, <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, he fought Ali another time. Uh, this time for the world title, Ali gave him a shot at the uh, world title back in 1966, and uh, the result uh, uh, was almost uh, identical, except for the fact that Ali didn't hit the canvas in this one. But along the way, um, you know, he, he did build himself back up into title contention, uh, but he had a string of losses after that. Uh, he did lose to uh, Ali a second time, then Floyd Patterson, as you mentioned before. He fought uh, Floyd Patterson and was stopped again in four. Yeah, and he actually said that Floyd Patterson had faster hands than Ali and hit harder than Ali. Um, he said that um, Ali moved better. Ali never stopped moving the entire time they fought. You couldn't, you couldn't stop him. You couldn't slow him down. Um, but Patterson had a lot more pop, and yeah, Patterson knocked him out. Um, and, and that uh, that was an aging Patterson too. That yeah. was that was a Patterson well past his prime, uh, a, a Patterson that had already lost his title to uh, uh, Sonny Liston and, and and had lost another uh, quick fight against Sonny Liston, and then you know the title had changed hands again. You know Ali had the title by this time. You know, but uh, uh, interesting fight uh, took place in 1968 against Carl uh, Mildenberger, who was a, a, a top rated fighter at the time. Um, Henry Cooper won that fight via a disqualification. Tell us about that one. Um, you know, I didn't do any reading on that one, but I do see that uh, it looks like it was an illegal use of the head for butting. Well, it was headbutts, yeah. And, head and you know, it was a frustration uh, type of a, a, a fight. And um, Henry Cooper, you know, it was a back-and-forth fight for the first couple of rounds, but then Henry Cooper uh, took control, and uh, Mildenberger just, you know... Uh, was looking for a way out and ended up uh, getting DQ'd in the eighth round. Um, interesting enough, Henry Cooper's final six fights of his 17-year career, that was one of them. It spanned from 1967 uh, to 1971 over those four years. His last six fights, which generally you don't see with a fighter with the pedigree of a Henry Cooper, he had five wins, three of them coming by knockout, one the DQ that we just mentioned, and only one loss, and that one loss was his last professional fight that took place on March 16th in 1971 against Joe Bugner. 
another one of uh, Muhammad Ali's victims. Uh, but uh, that was uh, an interesting fight. 15-rounder um, that went for, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, European titles were on the line for that one for his last pro fight. Yeah, you know, and that was one of the things that was, you know, he had a big size disadvantage uh, and it ends up being a close fight. But he had given his word to his wife that, um, you know, he was that was it. He, he was done. Uh, he So even though that there were some, you know, rumblings for a rematch, um, you know, he did not give into it. Uh, he is his wife. uh Speaking of Italy, um, that's where he, his wife was an Italian woman. Albina was her name. Uh, they were married for 47 years. Uh, she died in 2008 of a heart attack. Uh, they had uh, two sons, Henry, Marco, and John Pietro. Um, and, yeah, you know, uh, that's always nice to see a guy who's, uh, you know, he has his last fight and that's it. Walks away. Um, and he and he was um, he was very popular. Uh, that was one of the things is that, um, you know, he was the model of gentlemanly courtesy out of the ring. He won the BBC Sports Personality of the Year twice. Uh, there was times where he would um, things outside of the room, ring. One of the things that he did was launch um, uh, a flu offensive, you know, uh, get, to get help people go get their uh, flu shots, get a flu vaccine. Uh, the slogan he use, used was don't get knocked out by flu. Get your jab in first. There you go. <laughs> what did he die of in 76 uh, at 76 in 2011? Um, you know, I just read his uh, obituary, and I, I knew you did. I, I knew, was, I knew. <laughs> I, I don't even, didn't even catch what it was. I think it was just old age. Seventy six. Don't tell me that's old. Jeez. Yeah, I know it. Um, I didn't catch the well, the cause of death. The people loved him in uh, in Europe. That's for sure. His nickname, Our Henry. Um, I'm guessing he didn't fare too well against today's heavyweights. Uh, you know, he actually didn't do that poorly um in the title bout championship boxing game against first i put him in against deontay wilder the first time they fought it ended in a draw uh one judge had it 115 113 for cooper one judge had it 115 113 for wilder the third had it 114 114 all uh they fought again um Wilder, 114-113, another card of 113-113 even, and the third judge uh, pushes it to Wilder, 115-111, uh, a majority decision victory for Wilder. Uh, he had Cooper down uh, two times in the 12th. When they fight 100 times, uh, Cooper only wins 40. Uh, Deontay Wilder wins 56. They drew four times, and... Um, Cooper was able to take that um, uh, four and a half tons of impact left hook and stop Wilder 28 times. In his 56 victories, Deontay Wilder stopped Cooper 39 times. Uh, against Anthony Joshua, his uh, countryman, um, the first time they fought, it's a unanimous decision win for AJ. Uh, the cards were 115-112 and two scores of 114-113. Um, Cooper was down in the eighth round. When they fight 100 times, Cooper uh, wins 41, loses 57, draws two, and stops Joshua 25 times. In his 57 victories, Anthony Joshua knocked uh, Cooper out 39 times. 
Interesting. He does do a lot better than than I would have thought, um, considering the height difference that he gives up to both those guys. I mean, he was Inside. barely over six he, foot. He was always like around one ninety. I know. Um, I know. It said his uh, the New York Times in his um, obituary in twenty eleven. It says he died after an unses- unspecified extended illness. Hmm. Well, Henry Cooper, uh, today's blast from the past. Great job as usual, Alex. Uh, Henry Cooper was a former British and Commonwealth and European heavyweight champion. He titled, uh, he challenged uh, uh, Muhammad Ali for the world heavyweight title in 1966. He had a career record of 40 wins, 27 coming by knockout, giving him slightly under 50% knockout ratio. He lost 14 times in which he was stopped eight, and he only had one draw uh, in his uh, 55 total fights. Our blast from the past this week, Sir Henry Cooper. Uh, So if you have a a blast from the past, we have an interesting one to kick off uh, 2018. It's not even a fighter. It's a venue, which uh, I'll tell you about, uh, Alex. But, Alex, uh, we're almost out of time. We are out of time. But I have to get your thoughts. On the new Star Wars movie? No. 2017 (laughs) was uh, was a great year for boxing. It really was. and uh, no, I don't want you to have to tell us why you're taking a sip of coffee. I, they save that for the for the uh, ventriloquist act that you do uh, uh, as a part time basis. But um, <laughs> what <laughs> what what do you think? What what's in your opinion? What was the best fight of 2017? I know it's a tough one to pick, but what what, what do you like? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of contenders, but I didn't feel like like for take fighter of the year. Um, I want to say Anthony Joshua, but he kind of fizzled in the second half of the year. In the first half of the year, that was tremendous, the victory over Klitschko. Um, Vasil Lomachenko is up there, uh, but I think a lot of people might not, didn't enjoy the Rigondeau fight. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, it was like a chess match. It was just, it was, it was amazing how, how graceful and beautiful it was and yet so dominant and it was just stunning how just that level of somebody a guy who's been so dominant for so long Rigando he could not suffer the indignity of being smacked around and that was stunning to see at that level a guy come apart and it literally was a no mas victory so that victory stands out to me as one of those uh, moments of the year, uh, the victory of Joshua over Klitschko. Andre Ward's victory over Kovalev was terrific, but then he retired. Um, so it's weird because it seems like all the, I don't know, Golovkin, if Golovkin had gotten the win I thought he deserved, um, maybe he would be a shoe in for fighter of the year. But I think that was a little bit disappointing. I thought he deserved the victory over Canelo. Although watching a second time, I did think it was a close fight. Um, I don't know. It was, a, and it was. There was, some, and there was, like Dax pointed out, there were some really terrific brawls. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I, I, I guess for fight of the year, I got to lean toward Anthony Joshua. Yeah, uh, against Klitschko. Yeah, well, I think Joshua total for his performance because it, he's really, like you had said earlier, so go the heavyweight, so goes boxing. He has broken records in terms of attendance. 
so he's putting a tremendous amount of uh, asses in seats, which is a major thing for our sport. Uh, I think if he was an American, more people would know him. And uh, like I told you, uh, I bumped into a, a paramedic last last week who told me he thinks Giante Wilder is going to... I want that guy's uh, address. I, 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 I believe it. it you know, I, 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 I was you too know. sick to argue with him. I was like, oh, oh God, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I gotta let it go. <laughs> I wish I was um, there. You might not, you might have fared worse if I was there because I would have directed all my attention to him. But, uh, <laughs> but in any event, but uh, in the next breath, he told me, you know, you should really watch a lot more. UFC. Oh, God, if you had the strength, you should have grabbed him by his throat. Right. Yeah. You know what? You should really be more of a fan than you apparently are, sir. You know, it's like my, my blood pressure is like, a boom, boom, yeah, boom, boom. it seems to be increasing. Yeah. <laughs> Do I have to take my shirt off to show you how much of a fan I am? You know, but uh, anyway, hey, Alex, yeah, I, mean, I think HBO probably had the biggest, the best brawls because like Dax was saying, the Miguel Roman uh, Salido fight was a thriller. Um, that I think it was this year, right? The first, or was it the tail end of last year that um, Chocolatito was upset? That might have been the tail end of last year, and then he was just beaten again. Um, that was another big fight. Uh, so I, I don't yeah, know, so uh, but I, I guess I got to go with Anthony Joshua, just with a slight lead over Lomachenko. Sounds good, my man. Listen, you have a great holiday. I will be talking to you between uh, Christmas and New Year's to, to get our uh, new stuff going, and uh, we'll go from there. Sounds great, Billy C. Hey, uh, happy New Year to you. Merry Christmas to you and your family, and to all the listeners. Be well. Be safe. Thanks, my man. You have a good one. We'll talk soon. Take care. That's Alex Papali. You can check him out uh, on uh, Wednesdays when we do uh, our blast from the past, like... Uh, like you just got, you know. But uh, uh, anyway, I'm not going to take a break right now. Uh, we are going to get uh, my man Sal back. Uh, but uh, overall, you know, to tell you the truth, um, the way I see it, I, you know, to me, you know, it, it so many great fights this year. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, we had a banner year, a real good uh, a comeback year uh, for, for the sport. Um, and as Alex pointed out, you know, Vasily Lomachenko could very well be a fighter of the year very easily. Uh, as Dax pointed out uh, in a fantastic manner, his fights of the year, but though Jack, uh, James DeGal, uh, a big fight to kick off the year. Um, I mean, it just started so early on. And, I mean, it just continued all the way up. The one thing, and, and we got Sal back even though we can't see him. Um, the one thing I, I will say, Sal, is this you know the one thing i believe took place uh this year uh clearly was the fact that hbo uh has seemingly lost a step in my opinion uh in terms of uh their product their their boxing product i i hope that they can uh can can do a little better because i I can't stand Morio Ronaldo, and 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 I'm glad that ESPN got in the mix for the major fights. I mean, I I think if boxing continues with the fights that we appear to be getting uh, are coming our way in 2018, I hope the networks get there. You know what together? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I agree with you, and I think you know the networks got to work and and uh, provide the best. Uh, 
menus and and the fights that the fans want to see and and it's it's got to be a, a teamwork effort and uh, everybody's got to try and be on the same page for the sake of the sport and for the sake of the fans to keep the interest to keep the level of competition and to uh, to give us the best there is. What are you in the shower or something? Is that why you're not giving us your video or what? You know. Well, I guess uh, it looks like we lost him. I guess he took. Uh, I guess he took that uh, personally. But uh, in any event, we'll try and get him back. But uh, listen, so many things, uh, so many great fights this year. Uh, but uh, but honestly, like I've said all along, uh, my uh, uh, my fight of the year uh, is Anthony Joshua and uh, and Vladimir Klitschko. Um, I believe that uh, uh, they were um, the, uh, the the it, it should clearly be uh, the fight of the year for the significance that uh, it had, you know, for the sport. Uh, so uh, uh, that's uh, that's what I gotta say. And anyway, I guess we lost Sal. Uh, he's uh, totally off. On this day, December twentieth in nineteen oh five. Philadelphia Jack O'Brien knocks out Bob Fitzsimmons in the 14th round to win the world light heavyweight title. It took place in San Francisco. On this day in 1946, the best ever, Sugar Ray Robinson wins a 15-round decision over Tommy Bell to win the vacant uh, world welterweight title. And it took place in New York City. You know, one thing I want to make a a comment on, um, you know, Sugar Ray Robinson was regarded as one of the, uh, well, he's regarded as the best fighter ever. But unfortunately, where he really shined was in the welterweight division. And there are virtually no film of him as a welterweight, which is sad. Uh, You know, a lot of them were destroyed or just uh, weren't kept. Most of the footage that we do have of the uh, best ever uh, was when he was a middleweight. So uh, keep that in mind. And I was having a conversation with somebody in the chat room earlier. You know, for some of the fighters that came prior to the late 70s where uh, the the videos were were the norm, you know, you really got to read up on them. And you have to believe the majority of the articles that were written, because remember, there were um, a boxing uh, reporter for every single newspaper in the United States. So go back and 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 look them up and and see what they say and and listen to what they say. I know today we've become a society where we like to see and touch and feel ourselves and make our own decision, which is great. But we can't just we can't just throw all of these fighters that came prior to the technology of you know consistent film out the window because we can't watch them trust me when i tell you sugar ray robinson was the best ever and trust me when i tell you other great fighters like jack johnson uh who virtually there's no footage on uh yes there's some film that you see but you can't really get how great he was a a a great defensive fighter nobody could hit him and for as you know for all intent purposes he fought very similarly to floyd mayweather he was a cautious fighter, was defensive-minded, uh, focused on not letting his opponents hit him. And yet, uh, you know, when I get people talking to me, they go, oh, he was so slow. Oh, he says, I'm like, the film you're watching is from 1910, 1909. That's a guy cranking a thing, you know, one camera shot and outside. I mean, come on. Anyway, on this day in 1904, Jimmy Britt 
wins a 20-round decision over Battle and Nelson to win the uh, vacant World Lightweight title that took place in San Francisco. On this day in 1929, Benny Bass knocks out uh, Todd Morgan in the second round uh, to win the World Junior Lightweight title, uh, and that took place in New York City. Uh, on this day in uh, 1985, Chong Kwon Chung uh, knocks out Soon Chong Kwon uh, in the fourth round to win the IBF World Flyweight title to place in South Korea. And finally, on this day, December 20th in 1913, uh, a fighter that many regard as the best ever. Uh, aside, I think Sugar Ray Robinson was, but this guy is a close, uh, uh, not too far behind him, Sam Langford. Uh, the late, great Sam Langford wins a 20-round decision over Joe Jeanette uh, in their heavyweight fight that took place in France. Uh, the French Boxing Federation had stripped uh, Jack Johnson of his world title and made this fight for the vacant belt uh, that uh, they would strip uh, Langford of this belt uh, within a month. So uh, uh, you think shenanigans went on in the sport uh, today. Uh, trust me when I tell you they went on uh, yesteryear as well. Hey, listen, uh, sorry we lost Sal, but uh, between Sal and myself and Dax and, and Jeremy C. and, of course, Alex and my man Larry Hazard, who's uh, grieving right now, and everyone else involved with the Billy C. family, including all of our writers and contributors, uh, we want to wish all of you guys uh, a very Merry Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate, and a very prosperous and happy new year. We will, we will, we will, we will return live on Tuesday, January 2nd. Use this time to catch up on some shows. I promise you this, we will be back better than ever, and there'll be no doubt in anyone's mind uh, where the premier boxing talk uh, program is. It's right here on Billy C. Boxing. Uh, as promised, I'm going to leave you guys with this. This was our, our very first Christmas card that we did. It's my personal favorite. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, the Billy C's version of Twas the Night Before Christmas. So I hope you guys enjoy and uh, stay in touch over the next week. I always check my emails. Have a great one, guys. There it was, the night before Christmas. And all true to house, not a creature was stirring, not even a friggin' mouse. The boxing gloves were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that that fat guy in a red suit would soon be there. All tree kids, Sonny, Mike, and Rocky, were all snug in their beds, with visions of Sugar Ray Robinson dancing in their heads. With the old lady dressed in, actually I forget what she had on, but, but I was in these feety pajamas and a cool looking cap, and we both got under the covers for, you know, a little nap. When all of a sudden there was this friggin' noise. It sounded like Ernie Shavers pounding a heavy bag. The walls, they started creaking and cracking and created such a clatter that I jumped out of the sack to see what was the matter. I tripped over a dumbbell and on the way down got tangled up in a jump rope. I was up at the count of three, then stumbled over to the window. In kind of a flash, I had to move all the hand wraps out of the way and finally was able to throw open the sash. All I wanted to do was see what the hell was going on out there. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to the outdoor boxing ring and all the other objects below, when what to my wondering reattached retina eye should appear but this big red sled and eight of them reindeers. There was this little old driver. He looked just like Angelo Dundee. He was so lively and quick that I knew in a 10-second warning signal that it must be that fat guy named Saint Nick. 
those deers. They were coming in like punches in bunches, but all seemed tame when the fat guy whistled and shouted and he called them by name. Now Johnson, now Burns, now Hitman Hearns, and Sammy Angott, on Ambers, on Liston, on Langford and Jersey Joe Walcott, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As the will-o'-wisp danced and he seemed to fly, and how the greatest himself rose to heights as high as the sky, up to the housetop, the whole team flew with that big old sled full of boxing stuff and toys and that fat guy in a red suit, too. Then I hear this thud on my roof and it sounded like a crashing and banging of each one of those deer's hooves. I gotta be honest, as I was turning around, I thought to myself, I hope they don't all take a crap up there. And then down the chimney comes this fat guy in a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot and his clothes. They were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys and all kinds of boxing stuff he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his sack. His eyes, how they twinkled. His dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses. His nose was red as a friggin' cherry. I was thinking he had a few too many scotches, to be honest with you. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and he had a long beard that was as white as the snow. The stump of a stogie he held tight in his teeth, and by the smell of the smoke, I could tell he was hanging out with Cheech. He had a tough-looking face and a big but solid-looking belly. But when he saw the top ten heavyweights of 2008, he laughed and it shook like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump. Okay, he was a fat bastard, but a right jolly old elf. And I had to laugh because in him, I saw myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head gave me the feeling I had nothing to dread. So I put down my gun. He didn't say a word and went straight to his work, stacking up presents and filling up the gloves, and then he turned with a jerk. He put his finger on the side of his nose. He gave me a quick nod, and up the chimney he rose. He sprang to the sled, and to his team he gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim as he flew out of sight, Billy C. says Merry Christmas to all, and have fun at the fights.